Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and it's still a fairly quiet period early in this new year for boxing fans. But for fans of the NFL, it's all starting to heat up as the playoffs are basically set. And Eric... With your Philadelphia Eagles and my New England Patriots, for whom I have been a lifetime fan for the last <laughs> seven years, are through. And uh, particular congratulations to your team, which seemed uh, very much to be on the outside looking in a few weeks ago. And but finished strong, even though the Washington football team literally threw a stadium at it to try and stop it from winning. Yeah, we almost got a uh, galulied. It seemed uh, sort of uh, <laughs> by a whole stadium. Yeah, we're we're on a collision course, Kieran. My Eagles and your Patriots. Um, if not for the fact that they're each about the sixth or seventh best playoff team in their respective conferences, I would say that a rematch of Super Bowl 52 is coming. Uh, but uh, yeah, probably not. Uh, that uh, that collapsing railing was something else. Pretty much par for the course with all things Dan Snyder. I think we can oh, agree. Um, oh. I'm sure you're aware the team is about to announce its uh, new nickname, no longer the Washington football team. They've actually decided to do it on Groundhog Day and not sure if they were trying for something symbolic or if they are going to be the Washington Groundhogs, but uh, if they haven't 100% locked in a name yet, they should definitely consider the Washington insufficiently secured barricades. It's got a certain ring to it, doesn't it? I thought you were going to go straight for the Washington Galoolies, which I would strongly support. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm down with the Washington Galoolies. Actually, I could get used to saying that. The Galoolies are driving. The, oh, look at that. It's Never has a name fit a team more. Look at the Galoolies defensive tackle going for the knee. Yeah, Something exactly. like that. You know, yeah, you, you can work with it, I think. Um, yeah. But you know what? Enough about teams that won't be going to the playoffs. How about those Eagles? What a testament to what having the 32nd toughest schedule coming into the season and then <laughs> playing a few other teams, third and fourth string quarterbacks can do. Hey, man, that's that's not written in the records afterwards unless you really, really look. So right. there's not going to be a giant asterisk there next to it if they pull off a shock and win a playoff game. Right. That's that's about that's the upside here. That's what I'm I'm thinking. If the Eagles can win one game, that would be considered a major accomplishment. Whereas your Patriots, they might be aspiring to win two games. Yeah. Who needs Tom Brady anyway? What happened to him? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he just rode off into the sunset. Haven't heard anything about him in a while. Yeah, that's right. Last I heard, he was chasing some shirtless guy from his team across the field. I don't know what that's all <laughs> yes. about. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Look, um, at you, look at you knowing all about what's going on in the world of football. We managed to touch the two things I know about. <laughs> okay. Washington Stadium collapsing and Antonio Brown running off the field. There right. you go. That's it. That's You watch uh, all the highlight shows. On TMZ, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's switch to some boxing, uh, about which I'm marginally better informed. And coming up on this show, we will be joined by one of our all-time favorite podcast guests, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. Uh, we love talking with him every time we have him on, and that should be a fun interview. But first, as I mentioned, it's a largely quiet week, but we do have some action to recap uh, on Friday night. In Orlando, Florida, Showbox kicked off its 21st year with a triple header of action. Uh, six fighters entered with undefeated records. Three fighters exited still unbeaten. And after what had been shaping up as a bit of a bad night for the Dominican Republic, Luis Nunez uncorked a right hand uh, and follow-up flurry to stop Puerto Rico's Carlos Arrieta at 141 of the 10th and final round of their junior lightweight contest. Uh, the Dominican Nunez 
moves to 16 and 0 with 12 knockouts, while Arietta falls to 14 and 1 with eight knockouts. Eric, uh, thoughts on the stoppage? And indeed on the preceding nine and a half rounds and on the, both boxes. Well, I, I will begin our 2022 post-fight analysis in non-sadistic fashion with regard to the stoppage. Uh, I, I thought the ref stepped in at the right time, pretty much. Arietta did complain about it afterward. I, I yeah. read his post-fight quotes, but in the moment, he yeah. wasn't complaining. I mean, he was hurt. Uh, that right hand that Nunez landed to set up the finish... That was one of the best no-knockdown punches that you'll ever see. Uh, Arietta walked right into it with all of his momentum going forward, and he must have a heck of a chin to take the punch as well as he did. Um, I, I don't think Nunez was landing anything huge as he followed up, but Arietta was trapped and sinking along the ropes. Fine time to stop it. Uh, as for everything leading up to that 10th round, you know, the CompuBox numbers at the end were pretty close to even, but this was one of those fights where you can't go off the punch numbers because they don't reflect whose punches were sharp and had snap mm -hmm. and whose weren't and didn't. Uh, Nunez had that visible zing to his punches, whereas Arietta, the body shots looked good, but the headshots just didn't have much on them. So I had given Arietta just one of the first nine rounds. I gave him round three. Although I did think most of the rounds were close. They, they weren't all easy to score. But in general, this fight actually, it was a better style matchup than I expected. Uh, Nunez was definitely more entertaining this time than in his Showbox debut, uh, despite there being a lot of holding in spots here. Um, Arietta was solid, battled his way through an, an eye that began swelling early, never stopped trying. He merits another look on Showbox, I think. Um, but Nunez was just a notch above he was loose, relaxed, confident. He came in doing the twist. He left doing the twist. Um, <laughs> it's a solid win where he maintains his status as a prospect to keep an eye on and one who can apparently compete in several divisions. He says he can, can fight at 122, 126, or 130. So definitely someone to watch uh, two fights into his showbox career. But on the topic of those two showbox fights he's mm -hmm. had, Kieran, you said in our preview podcast last week that you barely remembered Nunez's previous showbox outing. Is Friday night's performance more likely to stick in your memory? Uh, and do you agree with uh, Barry, Raul, and BC that he probably needed that stoppage that he forced at the end to really make an impression on viewers? Yeah, to take that last question, um, yeah. <laughs> I think okay. he did need that stoppage. <laughs> All right, move on to the next question. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I, I think I agree with you that it was sort of a, a better outing, a more memorable outing than, than his first time. The first time around, I guess, I must have been somewhat underwhelmed by Luis Nunez. I wasn't underwhelmed this time, but I wasn't really overwhelmed. I guess I was whelmed. Um, okay. I mean, he's very good. It strikes me. That's a very good fighter. Well, there's certainly a good fighter in Luis Nunez, but I don't know that he's quite let that inner fighter loose fully, right? He's technically sound, clearly, and we've talked about this before. But up until that 10th round, there wasn't any true excitement that we've seen in, mm -hmm. in two showbox appearances. Um, he did. I thought he was starting in the second half of the fight to sit down on his punches a bit more, to sort of enjoy himself a bit more for the first time. But it felt still as if there's something missing there, and I don't know if it's not, not there or he just hasn't quite found it. Um, you know, he's coming forward, he's throwing punches. Uh, I don't know if at the moment he's just focusing a bit too much on, you know, keeping his technique solid. 
it feels as if maybe Nunez is a good boxer. He has a good boxer in him, but isn't necessarily one of the most naturally gifted boxers, right? Like early in a career, you give fighters latitude for learning things, but you get a sense, I think, of what kind of a fighter they are. And, a, you know, some of the truly talented guys who've come through Showbox, we've looked at them and gone, oh, wow, this is definitely a guy to watch. I think we think this is a guy to watch because he's technically very good. Is he necessarily somebody to watch because we think he's going to go great places? I don't know. I don't know that he isn't, but he's of all of the folks that we've seen come through Showbox, even since we've been doing this podcast, he's not necessarily in the top handful of guys that I wanted to see, but he is good. He is really technically sound. Does he have it in him to be a world champion? I don't know, but at least I'll remember this fight and I'll know what to think about when we see him next time. And we'll certainly see him another time. Yeah. Um, so you asked me something I said about Nunez last week. I was going to ask you something about what you said about Otar Aranosian, who climbed to 11-0 with six knockouts by dropping Starling Castillo twice in the opening round and cruising to an eight-round unanimous decision, handing Castillo his first defeat after 16 wins with 12 KOs. But you know what? Instead of me asking you that, let's ask someone else ask that question of you. You know, well-traveled boxing star Eric Raskin does a great job co-hosting the Showtime Boxing Podcast with Kieran Mulvaney. He said this week, Aaron Ossian, I'm not, I don't know if he's a legitimate title contender down the road here or if he's just a TV fighter. But either way, he makes fun TV fights. I'd like to see him. Absolutely. I'll be interested to know what Eric says after this fight. So, there you go. A mention mm-hmm. on the big show. So, as they asked, how do you feel about Aaron Ossian now? And are your views the same? Well, first of all, uh, BC called me well-traveled. Um, I guess he meant in terms of my byline. That's gotten around quite a bit uh, <laughs> because as an actual human, I'm not feeling very well-traveled. I've barely left the house in two years. Uh, but I suppose well-traveled boxing writer makes more sense to say on air than sweatpants wearing cereal eater. Um, so anyway, we do appreciate the shout out. And uh, Barry, if you're listening, I will satisfy your curiosity now. I am higher on Aronosian's potential to go places than I was coming into this fight. I don't think he looks like a guy who's on his way to becoming truly elite. Um, you know, he was calling out the likes of Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez after this win. I would make him a clear underdog against those guys. But could he fit in nicely in the middle of the 130-pound top 10? Could he claim an alphabet belt? Absolutely. Um one thing I talked about last week was wanting to see him against a different style. You know, he beat Porkchop Guerrero. Good. Fine. But Porkchop is easy to hit, pretty one-dimensional. Castillo, totally different style. Uh, he's really tall. Um, I, I told you last week that his internet-listed height of 5'9 had right. to be wrong, and indeed, Showtime measured him at six foot. Um, he's tall. He has some skill. He's a southpaw. And Aronosian dominated him to the point that Raul said late in the fight he was toying with him. Um, Aronosian imposed his style from the start, scored those two knockdowns, and just refused to let Castillo have any breathing room. Pitbull is awkward. He's very clever. Good ring generalship. He can win without landing any jabs. I mean, literally, he had landed a single jab (laughs) through the first four rounds, and I think he finished with three landed. Um, He throws a good uppercut, has very good defense. He lost one round total across all three scorecards. So, uh, yeah, I I will say now that Aaron Ostian looks like he'll at least be a serious contender and a handful for almost anyone. Um, But he's also going to be a great TV fighter. Uh, The the charisma remains off the charts. Um, So I'm thinking Showbox main event next. And, And if that goes well 
then uh, maybe it's time to face a contender. Okay, uh, moving on to the opening bout. Uh, you said last week that you were particularly looking forward to this one between Edwin De Los Santos and William Foster III, an eight-rounder at 130 pounds. You also said that if you were making a pick, that you'd be likely to side with De Los Santos. Uh, and fortunately for you, we only make picks on main events with <laughs> Showbox fights, uh, which as long as I'm on the topic of our picks, I'll note that we each begin the year with one point as we both picked Nunez to beat Arietta by decision. Uh, but back to the opener, Foster won a split decision to move to 14-0 with nine KOs, two scores of 77-74, and one hard-to-fathom 77-74 in favor of the now 13-1 De Los Santos. Did the fight meet your expectations? And how about each of the two boxers? I was a tiny bit disappointed in the fight because I was a tiny bit disappointed in De Los Santos. Um, you know, when I was looking at video of him, he looked to me like someone, you know, he kept his hands tight, he had good hand speed, had a nice variety of punches. I thought he looked like he had a really solid base. And for a couple of rounds, he certainly looked like that. Um, but, you know, the one sort of slightly negative thing I thought about him last week was that he looked like he appeared to enjoy fighting at a more measured pace whereas foster really liked to make bring the pressure and make it a fast paced outing um that's what foster did and de los santos just didn't seem to deal with it very well i don't know if he was carrying an injury but gosh he sure seemed to wilt and be discouraged early i thought um i thought the point deduction around four was premature and not really necessary to be honest but as for foster he was more disciplined than i expected um, but I do stand by my thought from last week that he's just too wild in spots. He's too open for the top levels of the sport. It'll work at this level, like I said, because he's difficult, awkward. He's a determined opponent. He's got lots of energy. He brings it. He's just got to be a nightmare to face faster. But I do think once he moves up a couple levels, he'll find his ceiling. But he'll be fun to watch while he's at this kind of level faster, I think. Um, did think he was smiling and sticking his tongue out a little bit too early. That'll that'll uh, come to, to hurt him if he tries that against better guys. Um, but either way, I thought both guys performed far better than the judge who had it 77-74 for De Los Santos, who has to have gotten the two boxes confused. It's, the, it's a perfectly valid score. It's the only really explanation <laughs> for it, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure how you land there, especially with that point deduction, which yeah. um, you mentioned it. I'm glad this didn't come down to a single point and the point deduction didn't matter because I'm still not entirely sure what De Los Santos did to lose a point. Yeah. Um, I couldn't even tell at first which fighter the ref was taking a point from. Um, it took me a little while to, to figure that out. But um, the the one thing about De Los Santos, uh, you, you sort of touched on how he started fast and then quickly faded. Um, it was weird. He was never breathing heavily, but the legs and the energy just mm. weren't there after six minutes or so. I guess all, all those quick KO wins left him really unprepared for this fight. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Um, there's not much action to preview for next weekend, uh, although there is one fight of some significance has undergone some changes. We'll talk about that in the news section. Um, but Showtime Championship Boxing will be back on January the 22nd. And joining us now is the A-side of that card's main event. He's been a frequent guest on the podcast, and we always really enjoy having him on. It is... The one and only Mr. Gary Russell Jr. Gary, thank you so much for joining us on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Um, so it's been almost two years since we last saw you in the ring. Um, why is Mark Magsayo the opponent that you're returning against? And uh, and what's your scouting report on him? Uh, Mark Magsayo is the guy that I'm stepping in the ring against because 
apparently he's the mandatory challenger. I don't know how the sanctioning bodies are going about things at this point, because I do know that uh, at one point, Leo Santa Cruz, they, the WBC had mandated for us to fight uh, about maybe a year or so ago. Um, what's the guy? Uh, Ray Vargas supposed to have been my, uh, my opponent, but that didn't materialize into anything. He, he ended up fighting on Canelo's other card. So I'm guessing this is the guy that we got to compete against. You know, <laughs> I've been wanting to fight against the best. You know, apparently he worked his way up to sanction body to challenge the champion. And for the people who don't know, the the mandatory challengers is the next best guy to the champion. Uh, the champion, I'm the champion. I'm not the number one contender. He's the number one guy. I'm the champion, you know, so... Uh, that's just what it is, man. I've been competing against the next best guy to the champion my last four or five matches because no one else has been willing to either unify the division or no one else is willing to actually take the fight. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can kind of go crazy trying to figure out sometimes what the alphabet bodies are, are, are thinking. And, and so uh, so you probably don't want to spend too much time uh, going down that rabbit hole. But in terms of uh, a, scout, a scouting report on him, have you have you watched much tape? What, it, what do you think of him? What do you have to be particularly uh, aware of? Um, I watched a little footage on him. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen his last match. I think he had, he had a great knockout in that fight. Um, of course, Manny Pacquiao... Manny Pacquiao picked him. You know, we can. It's, I think it's safe to say that Pacquiao is a legend in the sport of boxing. Yep. We can call Pacquiao a legend in the sport of boxing. And he should have a good eye on what he considers talent. And um, this is someone that he chose, chose to be on his team. You know, so I think it speaks volumes on what, what Maceo is going to bring to the ring. Um... I think he's even-handed. I seen in his last fight that he was actually losing. He was down on the scorecards, and he needed a knockout win to be able to uh, pull that thing off, yeah. which he, he, he did. He done it, you know, and you got to take your head off to him for that. Um, I think he's going to bring his physical and mental best because he's aware of who he's up against. I just don't feel that those are going to be good enough. Um, we mentioned, you know, the top, it's been 22 months since we saw you in the ring and it's been a long and challenging 22 months for most of us. Um, how has life been for you over the past two years? Not just with being out of the ring, but, but with dealing with the pandemic and everything else. Oh my God, man. It's been, it's been ups and downs. I tell people all the time, life is a lot like boxing. It's going to throw punches at you from all ends and all angles. And you got to keep your chin down and your hands up. And you got to fire when you got to open them. And you can't bullshit at it either. You got to really sit down on it and make it count. Um, I lost a younger brother back in December of last year. Um, so it, it's, it was been difficult. That's been a, been a, oh man, that, that was breathtaking. That, took a lot out of me, took a lot of steam out of me. Um, it made me have to refocus and look at things from a different perspective. Um, he left his four younger children behind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, it's only right for me to at least attempt to play my part with with my nieces and nephews. My dad, he's been having issues with his sugar diabetes and everything. This has been the most strenuous training camp that I've been in. 
Um, my dad hasn't had the opportunity to really be there the way that I wanted him to because he's been in and out of the hospital. He just got his foot amputated. So I've been training myself to a certain extent. He's just getting back in. As far as the pandemic and stuff goes, it went to show the pandemic showed me just how prepared I was for things. Um, I was always been one of those type of guys that I wanted to be self-sufficient. I wanted to be self-sufficient. I wanted to have the ability to be able to maneuver and do things on my own, you know, and that's what I wanted to instill into my children as well. Um, and it showed me just how prepared that I was, you know, for it. Um, my children, uh, we actually started growing their own garden right before the pandemic and anything has occurred and hit. You know, we was growing uh, watermelons, strawberries, mustard greens, collard greens, kale. You know, they we had, they was growing their own fruits, vegetables, and et cetera, and teaching them how to actually man the land and produce their own food. Um, in the area in which that I live in, there's a lot of deer, a lot of turkey, you know. Um, so I'm definitely a hunter. So I will get in the field. I'll, I don't mind going hunting and putting some food on the table. You know, I, I know how to skin it and harvest it, everything myself. The last couple of Thanksgivings, the turkey that's been on the table has been a turkey that I didn't harvest myself and, and you know, prepared myself, you know. So wow. it, it went to show me how prepared I am and how prepared I'm getting my children to be self-sufficient, you know. Um, if anything, when the pandemic did hit and it was, you had to stay stuck in the house and you couldn't leave out your house for X amount of days or time, um, and you couldn't get to the grocery stores, we were perfectly fine. Wow. Um, we were perfectly fine. Fascinating. Wow. And condolences. I know it's been a little while, but condolences again on the loss of your brother, Gary. I, I oh know it was God. really hard for you. Man, it was so difficult, man. And, and it's so crazy. It goes to show me my own inner strengths, you know, because when my brother passed, he passed in December. I want to say... January, I want to say in February, I had the street name changed. So it took me about two months after, after the passing of my younger brother. Um, he passed on the street that uh, my parents lived on, and it was called Omaha Street. And it took me two months. You know, when people pass, in most cases, they want to put their picture on a shirt or mm. something like that. You know, I felt like that's not enough. That definitely wasn't enough to to remind the people in the neighborhood that knew my younger brother or even myself uh, as by putting my younger brother's picture on the shirt. You know, so I, I um, did everything I could and I changed the street name. I changed the street name to my younger brother's, wow. my brother's nickname. And they called it, they called it, everyone called him Busa, you know. Um, and I changed the street name from Omaha Street to Booster Street in less than two months of his past. Wow. You know, in, in honor of my younger brother, you know. So it, it, it's been a lot. It's been hectic, man. Then on top of that, my dad, he's been going through his diabetes. Um, they had to amputate and et cetera, you know. So it's just been a, it's been a hassle. But like I say, life is like boxing. Got to keep your chin down and your hands up. Fire when you got to open them. Wow. We don't whine. We don't complain. We don't make no excuses. I'm not going to bitch or whine about it. I ain't going to do no good anyway. Right. 
Well, I'm, I'm sure with all of that going on, it makes you uh, even more, you know, looking forward to being able to get oh, yeah. back in the ring and and, and sort it of. It definitely you, does. It definitely does. Uh, Antonio, my younger brother Antonio, competed after uh, the passing of our brother Booster, and he held it together mm-hmm. the entire time until until the fight, the end of the fight. They raised his hand and he just broke down in the corner, yeah. and it, it was clearly just all about my younger brother, man. Yeah. It was, it was devastating, you know. So I try to use it as fuel, you know, use it as fuel, use it as energy. Energy is definitely transferable. I don't believe that energy goes anywhere. I think it's, it's just transferable. It can be utilized, you know. So I'm trying to use it as fuel, man. It's a great attitude, and yeah, the, you have to try to make a positive out of these difficult situations. Yeah. Sounds like you're you're trying to do that. Um, one thing is sort of awkward to transition from that into uh, talking about uh, about boxing, but one thing that that really caught my eye is you talking about moving up in weight to find a big fight and mentioning the name of Javante Davis. And uh, that that sounds like a great fight. I know it would be huge in the Baltimore slash DC area, but uh, you're a featherweight and he's a lightweight with, uh, with knockout power, no less. How do you see yourself matching up with him and, and offsetting his size and strength advantages? Oh my God, man. I think it's intellect over athleticism. I think he's a mm. good fighter. I think he's just athletic. You know, I bring more intellect into the ring. I think my speed, my punching ability, you know, and don't get it twisted. He he, he hardly has the punching ability. But please understand, he's going to respect it when I start sending this shit back at him. (laughs) Please understand it. Please understand it. You know, everyone has a game plan, like Mike Tyson says, until they get punched in the face. You know, um, a lot of these guys, they handpick their opponents. Their managers or promoters. They put these guys in there with someone who has a skill that or a style that's suitable for their fighter. I'm one of those guys. I don't care what your style is. I'm willing to make the fight happen. I'm a true warrior and I'm a true gladiator. You know, I, I'm one of those type of people that want to push myself to the limit. You know, I want a career-defining fight. I don't feel like I've had a career-defining fight as of yet. Um, I want that fight. I would love to have that fight. I would love to have that fight. Um, I think my hand speed, my boxing ability, you know, my ring generalship, you know, and my tenacity in the ring, all of that will help overcome. You know, uh, he had a hard time fighting his last, his last opponent. Yeah. And all this, all this guy did was went straight forward, was just going forward and just attempted to fight him back. Let's be let's let's really look at this thing, you know. Uh, most people look at the end result and not look at the whole picture. When he was fighting Leo Santa Cruz, a smaller guy, he was actually, in my eyes, he was losing to Leo Santa Cruz until he hit him. He was losing to Leo Santa Cruz until what was that, the fifth, sixth round? Sixth, yeah, I believe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was losing that fight. Even his last fight. Uh, well, not the last. The fight before that. Uh, who did he compete against after that? Oh, Mario Barrios. Um, Barrios. Yeah. He was losing that fight. He had to come from behind in the scorecard. This is. It's not a, a, a surprise to see a Javante Tank Davis having to come from behind in the scorecard. That speaks volumes on his skill set. He's just banking on just his punching ability. That's athleticism. 
Now I, I'll I'll take I'll take intellect over athleticism any day. So I, I feel as though that what I bring to the table as a fighter, I will I will completely expose him. And not only expose him, I probably actually embarrass him. Wow. All right. If I hope he's listening because uh, this is the kind of stuff that uh, helps make a fight happen sooner. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned your brother Antonio, and we had him on the podcast last year, and he was great. Um, we haven't had a chance to speak to Antoine yet, um, but hopefully that'll happen soon. Um, you're in your brother's corners pretty much without fail, I think, on fight night. How important is it for you to be a part, not just of their careers, but of their lives? Oh, man, it's extremely important. You know, we believe in a dynasty. My definition of a dynasty is, is information being passed down from generation to generation. In most cases, the next generation should be stronger than the last. Um, I got a, I took in a lot of Jews from the sport of boxing. Um, boxing is boxing is something that I needed in my life. You know, I was naturally aggressive individual, and this is the perfect outlet. You know, um, I've been doing it my entire life. You know, and I got a lot out of the sport. It's only right for me to be able to contribute back into the sport by putting back into it. What's better for me to put back into it than to put it into my younger brothers? Absolutely. All right. So a, a final question, Gary, to put put a bow on this. What can fans expect on January 22nd when you step back in the ring? Oh, my God. The same thing they always expect when Mr. Gary Russell Jr. step in the ring. <laughs> a lot of excitement, hand speed, punching ability, ring generalship, ring IQ, you know, uh, and someone that's truly in love with what they do. I love mm-hmm. the sport of boxing. I love what I do. I'm a perfectionist, uh, and I'm my worst critic. I'm my worst critic, you know, so uh, they should be watching the master at work. There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much. We're really going to be looking forward to that. Um, we're really grateful to you for putting some time aside. You're always a great interview and, and, and a thoughtful guy, and we love talking to you. So thank you so very much for, for giving us your time. Oh, my God. Thank you guys again for having me, man. It's always a pleasure, fellas. Thanks again to Gary. And by the way, extra special thanks for his incredible graciousness and patience during that interview. For some reason, our call kept dropping out. It must have been four or five times. And Gary could have been a dick about it. But instead, he was as kind as you can imagine. And the amazing thing is, he always knew exactly where he was, and he picked right up from where he'd left off. <laughs> yeah, it was much easier to stitch together in the edit than, than it might have been otherwise. And uh, and it's just, what a gracious guest. We're apologizing profusely. You know, listeners didn't hear any of that. It all got yeah. edited out. But here we are apologizing over and over every time the call drops out and we have to restart. And he just keeps telling us, no problem, and, and, and rolling right along. I got you you guys he kept saying I yep got you that's guys. right yep <laughs> so that family uh we, we love yes. the russells uh i think that might be the greatest revelation for us since we came to showtime you know prior to 2019 i had no idea about gary and his brothers he was yeah. just that super talented guy who didn't fight often enough uh that's all he was to me turned out he and they are, are a lot more than that and just the little things he dropped into the interview like he just casually mentions that you know he hunts and grows his own food and these the turkey of thanksgiving has always been one that he's managed to score it's just like huh there's some levels to you yeah very very interesting interesting guy from a very interesting family and uh yes one more uh thank you to him for uh 
persevering with our technical issues and really making us feel as okay as we possibly could about uh, something we weren't feeling too okay about. Indeed. All right. It's time for this week's Tweet of the Week. And it's actually a quote retweet from our friend Matthew Swain of the Queensbury Rules, whose, whose Twitter handle is at the liver punch. Um, anyway, the original tweet from at Mighty Max Boxing asks simply, Andre Ward versus Bernard Hopkins, who would have won and how? Which Swain retweeted with a comment, whoever landed the best headbutt. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> uh, and yes... Both Ward and Hopkins were as well known for their command of the dark arts and ability to roughhouse as they were for their undoubtedly sublime boxing skills. But it is an interesting question. Um, who would you pick in a prime versus prime battle between these two Hall of Famers? Hmm. Um, well, first, I'll just uh, commend uh, Swain on a nice little bit of snark in his comment there. That <laughs> um, was pretty good. Um, so, yeah, it's a good question. Hopkins' prime was at 160 and Ward's was at 168, but close enough. We can basically pretend they're the exact same size. Um, so I think we're talking 2001 or so B-Hop, the guy who beat Trinidad and uh, 2012-ish Andre. You know, he just won the Super 6 and beat up Chad Dawson. I'd say those are their respective mm. primes. It's a great fight. Probably the two highest ring IQ fighters of yeah. their era. Um, yeah. Not the absolute most physically gifted guys, although they were certainly gifted, um, but such smart fighters, so good at neutralizing whatever their opponent did well and then getting their offense in there and, and physically and mentally wearing their man down. Uh, I could kind of cop out on a pick and say, close decision hopkins seems to deserve it ward gets it um that that would fit mm -hmm. a pattern since hopkins didn't fare well in close decisions although that was slightly post prime that that kept happening and uh ward was given one decision that could very easily have gone the other way but i suppose making that pick that would be kind of lame so um <laughs> I think, honestly, Hopkins at his peak was that tiny bit better. Uh, he had a little more KO power. And if either guy was going to find a way into the other's head, it's Hopkins who gets into Andre's head just a little, maybe. Um, but it would be a great fight. Part chess match, part foul-filled gutter fight. <laughs> and um, I think the chip on Hopkins' shoulder propels him to a close decision win. Do you, do you see it any differently? Well, it's so interesting that you bring up the, the, the head games and all that, because when I was thinking about it, you know, Bernard hated it when he couldn't get into his opponent's head. Hmm. Uh, he hated it in fight week with Winky Wright when Winky just wasn't biting on anything. Right. Um, and Andre is so full of ridiculous levels of self-confidence that I wonder if, if he also would be a bit invulnerable to that and, and whether that would actually like rebound and drive Bernard nuts a little Interesting. bit. Yeah. Um, so I did wonder about that. The other thing, you know, you, you, you picked primes for them both. I realized I'm really struggling to think of what Bernard's prime is when he was so good for so long. Right. And yeah, the temptation is to say sort of, yeah, around Trinidad time. And, and that's certainly, not, I don't think that's his physical prime, is it? But it might be where his, physical prime and mental prime sort of match up best right. where he's got the smarts and the savvy now and he's he's still got enough of a body to will him to will along into into that so but i think the latter hopkins would do a bit better than the slightly more destructive earlier hopkins because you're gonna need savvy in this fight aren't you right um it, it would be what we describe as a fight for the purists 
right. would it not? Like, if you know what's going on, there's a lot of stuff happening on the inside that you're going to enjoy, I think, as well as a few hit shots on the blind side of the referee that kind of stuff this this might be a two referee fight this is one where you get two two officials in there to catch everything i threw a metaphorical dart at a metaphorical dartboard (laughs) and came up with andre just eking out the championship rounds to win like a seven five ish kind of decision it would be that kind of a fight. Right. All right. So we uh, can't come to, to a consensus on who wins Hopkins versus Ward. And uh, I don't think we'll ever uh, get an actual answer. I, I, I don't think so. I kind <laughs> of hope we don't at this point. Yeah, me too. Although it would, that creates another interesting question. Which of them is more likely to fight one more time? It's actually kind of a close call for various <laughs> it reasons. It, it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the news section. Uh, and this, again, for uh, maintaining a theme, really, not a lot to discuss. The boxing world, like most of us, still emerging slowly from the holiday season. But for the second week out of two in 2022, it's the British boxing scene that gets our main event. Uh, with a couple of stories featuring the two men uh, we fully expected to be meeting in an undisputed heavyweight championship matchup this year. But that seems a way off now following Anthony Joshua's loss to Alexander Usyk. Uh, promoter Eddie Hearn has said that he expects that a rematch between Joshua and Usyk to be all set for April, probably, uh, possibly again at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Joshua recently said to Sky Sports, as quoted by Boxing Scene, of his loss to Usyk, I wanted to box with him for 12 rounds and show because there was always this stigma saying that I can't box, that I was a big, stiff bodybuilder. So I said, all right, cool. Let me practice my boxing with Usyk. After which he said, pithily, it didn't go my way. It did not. Um, meanwhile, last week we were speculating on Tyson Fury's possible next opponent. And I thought maybe by this weekend we'd have a pretty good idea because it seemed like something was afoot. But... Fury has actually been talking up the idea of becoming the latest boxer to tempt a UFC star into the boxing ring, saying he'd like to take on UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou under boxing rules, but with UFC three-ounce gloves. Uh, Ngannou countered with a suggestion that they meet in an MMA bout with boxing gloves. Um, Eric, is this a sign that early in this year we already need to get some fights signed swiftly to stop board fighters winding us all (laughs) up with their cross-discipline trash talk? Yeah, you know... Tyson Fury is the kind of guy who who dances to the beat of his own drum just <laughs> enough that, yeah, he might do this sort of thing. Um, you know, if it was Vlad Klitschko or Lennox Lewis or, or, right. or some other extremely level-headed heavyweight champ, I wouldn't be concerned. But Tyson Fury has done WWE. Uh, yep. He's he's not a sit-around-and-be-predictable kind of guy. His mind is always going. So he might actually be thinking about it. Um I have no idea what an MMA bout in boxing gloves looks like. You know, it, it, <laughs> no, if, you, if you can't no. grip your opponent, how much grappling can you do? Right. Does that make it competitive? I don't know. Uh, bottom line, yeah, Fury needs to get his next title defense signed or else this Ngannou thing might actually happen. Um, as for AJ, <sighs> I, I don't know. I, I guess I can buy that he developed that mindset. But to go into a massive heavyweight fight, against an undefeated opponent wanting to, quote, practice your boxing. Yeah. It's ridiculous that he wouldn't see the folly in that or that someone in his team wouldn't talk him out of it. I'm not really buying it. Um, he's he's unfortunately in that 2020 Deontay Wilder, I'm just going to pile excuses on top of excuses mm. until I feel okay about this loss phase of his career, it seems. Um, but, you know, hopefully this means... He'll come into the rematch looking to fight as a big, 
badass puncher. Um, I think that gives him a better chance at winning than trying to be a slickster, at least. He sounds a bit lost, doesn't he, at the moment? Yep. Like he, he's just trying to figure out. It's like we said when we look back on the fight. One guy was boxing, and the other guy was just thinking in there. And yeah, he's gotten lost in his thoughts a little bit. And, and there's all this talk about him trying to find a new trainer. And yeah, he doesn't seem to know quite who he is at the moment, AJ. No, and, and the comments, I can't tell if they're him trying to convince himself of something and make excuses mm. to, to motivate himself and get his own confidence back, or if they're just supposed to be public excuses so that so that others won't think less of him and will understand why he lost. But one way or another, he's making a lot of excuses, and it's, it's yeah. just never a great sign. Um, a few other pieces of news to address, uh, as you hinted at earlier. Joe Smith Jr.'s light heavyweight contest with Callum Johnson, uh, slated to take place at Turning Stone Resort and Casino on Saturday, has been postponed after Johnson tested positive for COVID. Stepping in to take his place is 18-2 and two Steve Giffard, whose last outing was last March and who hadn't fought for three years prior to that. Uh, Matchroom has announced a slate of fights, some of which we've already discussed on previous podcasts. One new one is Josh Warrington meeting Kiko Martinez for the featherweight strap that Martinez took from Kid Galahad in one of 2021's biggest upsets. There are multiple reports that Floyd Mayweather has announced he will be returning for another exhibition bout against another YouTuber on a helipad atop the Burj Al Arab Hotel in Dubai. Of course. And uh, shifting tone abruptly for the last item here, um, former MGM Sports exec Bob Halloran has died at the age of 87. Uh, Barry Tompkins eulogized him beautifully, I thought, yes. on Friday's Showbox broadcast. Uh, Kieran, your thoughts on any or all of the above? Just take them in order, I guess. Uh, a full credit to Geffrard for stepping in at very short notice. It's career-wise, it's a win-win for him. It's It's money he wasn't expecting. Nobody expects him to do anything other than get blown out. Um, if he puts up even a semi-decent performance for as long as he lasts, his name is now on people's lips as an opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, there's always a slim chance of an upset. Um, the matchroom fights include some good ones. Uh, Warrington Mar- uh, Martinez is, is a rematch of a bout from 2017 that Warrington won closely. Uh, I don't know if this means that Lara Warrington 3 just isn't going to happen. Um, you could argue it's a bit rough on some other contenders that are guy who lost his last completed fight and was in arguably a bit of trouble uh, in the rematch until it was stopped following a headbutt, gets a shot at a title, but it's the alphabet groups and who cares about that? And, you know, Warrington's put in his time after all. And I'm sure Kiko Martinez is happy for the opportunity for revenge against a a pretty big name. Uh, As for Floyd, if this happens and it's on pay-per-view and you buy it, you have only yourself to blame. Don't come to us whining about the cost of pay-per-views ever again. <laughs> um, and Bob Halloran, yes, like you said, uh, Barry did a great job with him. A uh, former sportscaster, became VP of sports at Caesars Palace in 78, uh, then took the same position at MGM, later becoming president of sports. Uh, by the time I started showing up at Las Vegas events uh, in 2003, he was more of a figurehead, uh, less involved in the day-to-day, but always a very charming, very nice charismatic presence just a good dude um and may he rest in peace yeah and the only thing on any of those items that i have to add uh, pertains to uh joe smith and callum johnson uh with omicron 
I hate to say it, but uh, late opponent switches and fights falling out entirely in the last week or two before the fight. Yeah, it's going to be the norm for a little while, hopefully just for a few weeks. And, you know, by sometime in February, the spread will have slowed. But, you know, for now, I- I've lost track of the number of people I know who've gotten COVID. It's yeah. been happening all across every sport. We should brace for some fights to fall through like Smith Johnson did until yeah. whenever this wave fades out. And um, all right, on that uplifting note, uh, let's uh, bring this episode in for a landing. We wrap it up with me revealing your top five list challenge for next week. And you know, Kieran, I've been working hard lately. You know, New York launched online sports betting over the weekend. I had to put in extra day job hours to cover it. I deserve a break. I've earned the right to be lazy. I think you'd agree. (laughs) So I didn't expend any mental energy thinking of a challenge for you. My challenge is name five fighters. (laughs) Yes. And go do it now though. (laughs) Um, I didn't, I didn't have to expend any energy because back on November 30th, one of our listeners sent us an idea and uh, I didn't use it at the first opportunity, nor did you use it at your first opportunity. You could have. So uh, I'm using it now and it's a great one, by the way, it comes from John Cleary at boxing Cleary who tweeted at us, uh, and this will this will timestamp it for you and let you know just how long ago he sent it in. After that fantastic Fulton Figueroa fight, parentheses <laughs> alliteration FTW, um, couldn't help but wish for three more rounds. Possible top five list idea: top five fights you wish occurred in the fifteen Oof. round era. Um, I remember this now. Yeah, it's a good one. So, so one parameter we should establish, and we can discuss what makes sense for this, is. When did the 15-round era end? Um, Some sanctioning bodies abandoned 15-rounders earlier than others. I looked it up. August 29th, 1988 was the last time one of the major alphabet groups sanctioned a 15-rounder. So we could use that as the cutoff point. Um, We could just kind of go anything from the mid-80s. I'm not, you know, when they started to... Uh, actually, it was more early 80s that some of the sanctioning groups started mm-hmm. to get rid of the 15 rounders. So if there's a f- I- I'll, I'll sort of leave that up to you to sort of set uh, a parameter there for where you think this should uh, okay. begin. Um, but certainly we're talking about fights that were scheduled for 12 that having seen how they played out, you wish you could tack on three more rounds and see what happens. Certainly a lot to choose from pretty wide open here, but I think it'll be a really fun countdown next week. I'll, I'll be curious to see what you pick. It's one of those that on first hearing it, I'm thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to be overwhelmed with trying to find some fights here. Like I can't like nothing immediately pops into my head, but I think it's going to be one of those that once I sit down and start thinking of them, that there's going to be an awful lot yeah. would be my guess. I'll do I'll do a, this will be a little bit of a spoiler I suppose for something that you might or might not pick next week but I guess it's it's critical to deciding what our cutoff is going to be. Is is one example that either could be on your list or we could cut it out would be Leonard Hagler. Like that's an obvious right. one in so do we want that to be eligible and sort of say stuff in the 80s that was scheduled for 12 that had it happened a few years earlier might have been 15 would you like that to be eligible or do you want to say we're going August 29th 1988 to I, I think it's reasonable to say because I think it's fair to say isn't it before the sanctioning body started doing this that buying that generally world championship bouts were I mean we could even slightly re- 
rephrase John's thing to be what world championship bouts that went 12 rounds or were scheduled for 12, would you have liked to have gone 15? And then we dodged the date altogether. That's um, yeah. I think that that's, that's fine. Cause there, yeah, yeah, there certainly weren't any world championship bouts scheduled for 12 prior to, right. uh, you know, 82 or 83 or whenever they stopped. I think it was after Mancini Duke Kim that they began to curtail right. them. Um, so, okay, that's, that's fine. So anything that was scheduled for 12, that was a world championship bout, is, is eligible for this and so now yeah. and so now i've i've hopefully gotten your gears moving on the sort of fight that uh, that one might consider including right and it is of course i think by and large it's going to be fights that went 12 and we wanted more it's like i would have liked to have seen 15 rounds of hagler hearns but that wasn't going to happen <laughs> and scheduling it for 15 wouldn't have changed anything yeah no i think i do i do think a parameter would be it has to have gone the full 12 unless there's yeah. some weird circumstance where it got stopped early and wouldn't i'm trying to think if there's some way that because it was a nah that doesn't that doesn't no, add up I in any way to, so I, it has, to have, it has to have gone 12 yeah, yeah. yep yes okay. all right that helps <laughs> okay uh that will do it for this week's edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney many many thanks again to the very patient and kind gary russell jr for his interview uh we will be back next week to preview his fight with mark maxayo atop the january 22nd showtime championship boxing card until then thank you for listening be safe be kind and be well <laughs>